Hi, welcome to Shift. It's PwC Canada's podcast series, and we're digging into key digital trends and topics that can make your business transformation a reality. I'm your host, John Finkelstein, and I'm also the creative director of PwC Canada. Welcome to another episode of Shift. We're recording from our respective homes once again, and we've got an amazing podcast for you today. I am with the managing director of Twitter Canada, Paul Burns, man. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm really curious. Twitter's one of those companies, when you tell people you work for them, what do people say to you? It's a mix of responses. But um, yeah, I think people are are intrigued by it and fascinated by it. And it's sometimes good cocktail conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, you've been there since 2018, I think, right? That's right. I'm just really curious if you could just take a couple seconds and tell people a little bit about yourself. I have worked in tech, entertainment, media my whole life. I, I came from an agency that I ran here in Canada called Huge. Uh, we did digital product development, product design. And uh, prior to that, I was leading the digital team at a telco called Shaw, which the media division is now Chorus. But I led the digital team there. And, uh, and you know, prior to that, I worked at a bunch of different digital companies like Simpatico MSN, if you remember that site. And way back in the day, I actually worked for Nokia Mobile Phones, uh, one of the first mobile phone companies uh, around the world. So that, that got my sort of start in technology and mobile messaging, mobile content. So um, yeah, so that's kind of been my my track record. I got a wife and two kids and I live in Toronto. Awesome. Thanks, man. So like pre-pandemic, what was like occupying your mind and the, and the mind of the organization in terms of big challenges, things that you were thinking about, things you needed to fix or overcome or improve? Yeah. You know, uh, Twitter's in this perhaps unique place in that we're kind of like this real-time news engine. And so, you know, one of my first actual days at Twitter was at an all company event. And, you know, when Jack got up on stage and started talking about who we are and why we exist, Jack talked about our purpose and our purpose is, you know, really this thing that I think we all try and live up to every day. And it's to serve the public conversation. And, you know, if you were to ask other people with inside Twitter, you know, what is Twitter? I mean, yes, it's a messaging platform, but it's it's kind of like this real-time pulse check on what's happening in the world. And so pre-COVID, I think a lot of the time I was spending is really trying to make sure that we were able to use that information in a way that helped citizens, helped Canadians, helped uh, helped brands make decisions on what was going on in the world. So, And, and Twitter is, I think, unique in that it's, it is literally real-time. Major news outlets use Twitter as like a source for content. And so that's that's a beautiful thing. It's mountains and mountains of data. Um, but you can really dip your toe into the stream of Twitter data and find out what, what do people care about? What matters to people? And so pre-COVID, I think we were really trying to make sure that we understood how to best use that intelligence to service Canadians, to service you know the population, but also to service brands, to service businesses, to help make better decisions. And so it was very it was super exciting, very fun. Uh, I think COVID, in many ways, COVID not to not to shift to COVID, but it it amplified that because everyone was seeking information. Everyone wanted to know what is happening right at this very minute about this pandemic that's unfolding. And so, in many ways, our value proposition just got like the volume on our value prop just got turned up to you know to the max over the years at COVID. So. Wow. You know, I, I fancy myself as someone who does a fair amount of reading on um, 
different uh, technologies and companies and stuff like that. I don't think I've ever heard that Jack shares his 360 review with the entire company. That's pretty daring. That's pretty interesting. I hope, you know, some of the um, C-level, you know, listeners take that to heart because one of the things, you know, in my career that I've always really thrived on is wanting to have feedback from different people uh, across your organization, not just people above or below, but you know, opening myself up to that. So that's really, really interesting. And it's kind of like, in a way, what Twitter's about too, because it's very transparent. It's just like, come as you are, no? Well, yeah. And, and you know, just to build off what you just said, I think um, we, we often get, you know, compared to Instagram, Facebook, other social, you know, platforms. I think I think we are very different. One of the things that we are very different with is, there is a rawness, there is an embracement of imperfection on Twitter. You know, the fact that one out of every two people beg and ask for an edit button constantly, and we never allow for that, is partly because there is, you know, perfection is overrated. And there is beauty in just like your thoughts getting down on paper, even though that may in fact be a permanent thought. Um, I think that's, that's kind of what we're trying to embrace, the real version of you, not the facade of of the color-corrected, nicely polished, edited version. So let's talk about COVID for a second. Yeah. So I'm just I'm curious. Did you first hear about it on Twitter? No, you know, so we, um, we heard about it from our, our Asia teams. When we heard about it, it, was, it felt kind of like an isolated incident. We had started to hear some rumor mills about it, that there was this disease floating around. No one really knew what it was. And then we got a note that those offices had actually been shut down and they were working from home. We hadn't been affected by it yet. And so we were, I think, assuming that it was just this localized thing. And, and then in February, I guess like, the benefit of working for Twitter is that we get access to information and see how news spreads and we know when something's becoming bigger than just a localized thing. And um, I think we had a real keen insight that this was going to be a much bigger thing than a purely localized Asia Pacific region event. And um, in late February, we were asked to work from home. I think we were one of the first companies to do that. And like many people, when that was asked of us, I think we all kind of anticipated, okay, this is going to be a couple of weeks. This is going to be a short-term thing. And then and then it became a real thing. At the outset, that initial sort of phase of work from home, there was as weird and different as it was, there was kind of an energy that existed there, almost like that it was something new and exciting and, okay, we're all in this together. We can handle this for a couple weeks. And so there was this inertia and momentum of the initial phase of work from home. And then I think people realized, you know, after four weeks of this, that actually this is a long-term, this is not going to be a short-term thing. And then the reality of the situation, I think, set in for a lot of people. <laughs> and so I think recognizing that this is not just a short-term thing, this is a big thing, and this is going to go on for a longer time, and it actually could really start to affect our business. We saw many brands and other CEOs that I talked to just like put the brakes on everything and, and really just take stock of, okay, what are we dealing with here? <laughs> what is this situation? Is this going to affect our supply chain? Is this going to affect our business? How should we think about marketing and speaking to customers in this moment? And we saw at that moment our traffic just go through the roof. You know, I think Canadians, but also everyone else, elsewhere in the world, just flocking to Twitter, these surges of users trying to understand more about this pandemic that is kind of, that's very unknown at the moment. So, and, and that that is typical when you look back on the years of Twitter's existence, when you see a big 
massive event that happens in the world, you'll see Twitter just go through the roof um, in terms of audience spikes and, and people wanting to get information and clarity and uh, being current on the conversation, I think, is, is what we're hearing, uh, you know, throughout moments like this. So, yeah, that's been our our ride on this. Uh, one thing that we did announce to people, it actually had nothing to do with COVID, but we did announce to our team and our staff that they are allowed to work from home permanently. And that was a big staff announcement that we made. We declared that. And it was funny because we have always been talking about this idea of decentralization. And it's funny, you know, if if you work in tech, the vast majority of people who want to grow their career in technology, you kind of have to move yourself to San Francisco Bay Area or Silicon Valley in order to advance your career. And I think Jack's philosophy that he's talked about for years has always been that we're a global company. We service a global population. You shouldn't have to work in San Francisco Bay Area in order to contribute to Twitter and grow your career. So this idea of you should be able to live and work wherever you are in the world, wherever you happen to be the most creative, uh, and still grow your career at Twitter. Um, so a role, like a job posting, shouldn't necessarily have a like defined location parameter. We should actually have this a remote option always available to people. And so we declared this. What COVID did is just accelerate that plan um, and, and sort of made us move into this place of work from home permanently right out of the gate. And as soon as we started, you know, talking about this permanent ability to work from home, you know, we had, we had employees raise their hand and say, okay, cool. I, I want to work in Maui. I'm going to move, you know, to the South of France. You know, it presented a whole bunch of logistical challenges in sort of our people organization of how do we actually manage the movement of people and the movement of talent all across the organization. And if your job function is focused on a geographic time zone, is this even like possible in your day to day? And so the mandate of our people organization was get to yes. How do we help people live out this freedom of, you know, flexibility in their location, but also consider the actual work parameters that need to be put in place. So, and and at the core of it all is just a trust, trust in our people, trust that they're going to do what's right, trust that we're putting them in a place where they can be the most creative. So COVID's coming, you hear about it from overseas. How did, as an organization, you guys decide to respond to this in terms of, you know, product or service levels or anything because and the reason i'm asking you is because you yourself said when COVID started to you know swell a little bit people were hearing about it they flocked to twitter to learn about it to understand what's going on and so how do we prepare for something like that our mission is to serve the public conversation and as a part of that i would say one of the things that inside the walls of twitter uh, we have a team called the health team, and the health team is really focused on making sure that that conversation is is healthy through a variety of different means. And so, uh, and there's a series of metrics we use to determine whether or not you know we're actually making progress on that metric of is the conversation getting healthier. Um, but I think as COVID nineteen hit, what it really meant for us is how do we actually make sure that the conversation around COVID nineteen, how do we make sure that it is healthy? How do we make sure that you know, we're surfacing credible, you know, reliable information about the virus, um, especially as case counts started to increase. And so we we took a number of different steps um, from a product perspective to ensure that. Um, One was we actually partnered with experts and officials. And I would say this is something that existed globally, not just in Canada, but in each country, we actually 
have deep relationships with health officials and making sure that the National Public Health Agency uh, or you know the World Health Organization was plugged into how we were actually surfacing information um, in the organization. We had a massive influx of health officials, actually, and doctors coming to us asking to be verified on the platform. Um, And surprisingly, many of them weren't. Um, But Twitter, in many ways, was the best way and best mechanism to actually get the word out about what's happening, how to protect yourself, how to stay safe. And if you recall, at the beginning of this whole thing, we knew very little about what was going on. And so Twitter became this almost like, lifeline for uh, people of the medical profession to actually communicate with citizens. And so um, we had a very boots on the ground team trying to verify and, uh, you know, make sure that every single health official was, you know, was up to speed. Those are a few of the things we put into play, like pretty early on to make sure that the information coming through was viable, was credible, was, you know, actually defensible and uh, something that I think we wanted to you know, make sure people have the right information because it, in many ways it was saving lives. <laughs> As someone who worked, you know, in advertising for 27 years, it was really interesting to sit back and kind of watch how brands were acknowledging being part of the conversation, however you want to talk about it. So how do brands work with Twitter to make sure that they are culturally relevant? I mean, the data and the trends and the predictions that, uh, that you can have, amazing. And of course, you know, one only needs to do a quick, you know, search on Google to see who, whose campaigns, brand campaigns are doing really well on Twitter and how people are reacting to it. But how have you felt that change? Because before it was like, we're, we make mayonnaise, you know, we've got a hashtag, we're, you know, we're going to be participatory or whatever. And now it's like, is the world more serious? Yeah, I think the implications for brands are, are real. I think it started at the outset with brands really just trying to figure it out. And I think what we learned early on was that the typical, you know, creative approach for brands, the way brands spoke to customers, the tonality, there was like a very real check on, is what I'm putting out there culturally sensitive to the moment? You know, people are grieving, people are freaking out, people are like high anxiety, and I'm just talking to them like I'm trying to sell them like a beer ad with everyone having fun, you know, and I think there was like a slap in the face for a lot of brands going, okay, I need to rethink my entire way I I approach brand storytelling. Then we saw a phase of brands actually engage in what was the emotional COVID we're in it with you narrative and where every sort of piece of creative and narrative kind of felt the same. What that gave birth to was this, this idea of brands actually playing a role to actually help solve the problem. And so we saw a lot of different brands actually start to just think, okay, how can I help? (laughs) How can I make this a little better for people Um, and, and tell that story in an authentic way? One of the insights that came from, I think, the last year is people, like even being on screens constantly, your kids running into your conference call as you're on them, I don't know, almost portrait into people's world of imperfection and getting comfortable with, you do not have to have this perfect portrayal uh, of the world. Many brands, I think, embrace that, this level of like, we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be real. And, And I think a lot of brands started to jump on that. We saw the need for small businesses, the small business conversation, which is a super interesting one, actually just, you know, that was a massive, massive, it still is, massive conversation on platforms today. And, you know, we see a lot of brands really asking that question, okay, how do I, if I'm a big blue chip brand, how do I actually support small businesses in my messaging? But then we also saw, you know, 
really interesting aspects of brands trying to rethink like big problems. You know, we saw, you know, it was called the hashtag other pandemic, the mental health challenges that emerged over this last year and brands starting to really, I think, think through that's a, that's a real need and a real challenge that people are facing right now. How can we address that? Um, and so I think where Twitter starts to play a real role in the life of a brand is, is helping them navigate the conversations that exist, uh, but also helping them essentially plug in in a way that is relevant and authentic and, and real and not crass and, and you know, opportunistic and commercial. It's an interesting crash course in being real, isn't it? Because we're all craving real. It's an interesting time for brands to sort of, and I've kind of seen this in some of the later work, they're less concerned about just selling you their thing and trying to create a connection with you to figure out how as a brand or a product, we can actually be, I don't know, an an intrinsic part of making your life better. Or there just seems to be a greater connection between people and brands and having heart. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. It's funny. We actually did a an analysis. This is not a scientific analysis by any means, but we did an analysis of all the emojis used over the last year to try and, I think, almost extract, was could we actually see if that was an indication of how Canada was doing? <laughs> and, and, you know, by emoji volume, would that give us some gleam as to we're doing happy or we're not doing happy. What was the, and I think what, what is very true about the last year has been just this unbelievable roller coaster of emotions that we've seen uh, across, you know, the platform across, you know, from days to weeks to months, you know, we've seen the highest highs and sometimes the lowest lows. I think, you know, we saw some of the, what was interesting, and this is an example of like just where we fit with brands is we saw some of these unbelievably joyous occasions of, you know, in the summer when the summer, you know, the weather starts to shine and, you know, people getting outside for the first time. But we also saw during the racial injustice happening south of the border in the U.S. and just some of the riots that occurred, we saw some of the saddest days on Twitter. And, you know, we would tell clients, like, let's actually just pause right now. And this may not be the right time for your brand to actually speak and have a conversation in this moment. And so it's for us, I think it's being culturally, you know, aware of the water we're swimming in uh, and making sure that brands are approaching conversations that may be more delicate with the right level of care, that they will be received in the light that they want to be received in. And so, yeah, but, but it, I think the lesson in all of this is for a brand is just be human. So many brands, you know, are learning how to listen, listen to the conversation and adapt the language that you're using and your tone to reflect the moment in time that we're in. And I think, you know, brands are, I think the more brands do that, the better they're going to be. I think that's a really important, you know, bit of advice for leaders to be sensitive and contextual and human. And also, I think realizing that because people are so fragile right now, they're extra sensitive to what they read and interpret, whether it's they're adding story to it or not. It's like the wounds are open. And so every little thing, it just becomes, you just pick at it and you pick at it. So, and that's from things that make you really happy to things that make you frightened. So I think being aware of that is, is really important. Is, are there any other tips or whatever that you would, you would say to some of these big companies who are in the midst of sorting their social out? Yeah. I think when you think about yourself or, or myself or just, just anyone, you know, there's a, there's a version of ourselves 
you know, we strive to be and we, you know, we portray it proudly to the world. But in reality, uh, our real selves, along with maybe some of our ethical decisions, you know, they're, they're complex and, and sometimes they are contradictory. And I think what COVID has done, it's exacerbated this contradictory behavior in all of us. You know, we, we we're all facing this problem for the first time and it, it's a new problem and it demanded our immediate and undivided attention in many ways. And so it, it really forced, I think, a lot of us to just shift priorities against, you know, the expectations we had for ourselves, the institutions that we're a part of, and our public figures and brands. And so 91% of Canadians support continuing to support and grow local businesses. They think that's the important and right thing to do right now. And yet, at the same time, we've seen a 30% increase in sales from Amazon. Uh, and so that's a very interesting contradictory construct that we find ourselves in in this moment. So I, I think the, the takeaway for me, and I think for brands and for leaders, is that you, you do not need to be perfect, but you do need to hold yourself accountable in this moment. And I think it's thinking through, and what we saw a lot of brands do in this season is reevaluate their why, reevaluate their purpose. You know, why are we here? Why are we in this game? Why are we in this business that we're in? And trying to make that purpose more personal and close to home, candidly, is really, I think, what we're seeing a lot of brands do. Simple things like that, that are actually weaving your brand into culture in a way that is relevant, but not, not overt, I think is what we're starting to see a lot. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a tough moment for any marketer, for any executive uh, leading through a crisis. 2020 has prepared us all, I think, as leaders to be, to be better leaders. I think it's prepared us to communicate differently with our customers than we ever had before. You know, sometimes you need that wake up call. You need a chess paddles on your life and in your business to just kind of go, okay, well, we have to. And a lot of that is driven out of survival. But in many times, that crisis produces something in us, produces a DNA and a character trait uh, in all of us that now that we're kind of emerging out of it, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully. We look back and go, thank goodness that I went through that because I now I'm so much more wise to the world. I know how to approach different challenging circumstances. So I look at the last year as a season of preparation, a season of you know building resiliency and new muscles that we hadn't used before. And I think for any brand executive business owner that is in this season, this is a season that you know we will all probably look back on. And yes, it was hard, but it planted a seed in all of us that is going to grow into a big redwood tree over the next couple of years of, of growth and resiliency and strength. So that, that would be my quick take. Okay. Um, all right. Lightning round. Here we go. I'm going to ask you some never seen before questions. And um, it just gives us a chance for people to get to know you, Paul, a little bit better. Okay. Where's the best place that you can't wait to travel to right now? Any place warm. COVID hobbies. Do you have any? I typically get up crazy early before my entire family gets up and I write. And I never used to be a writer. And I don't even know what I'm doing. But I get up in the morning and I write. And that's, uh, that's a COVID hobby that I think is, has been wildly therapeutic, interestingly enough. Besides Twitter, what's the most frequented used app that you have on your phone? I think it's my notes app or my camera app. Both of those apps. I'm, I love photography. I'm obsessed with taking photos. I'm constantly snapping. But I also make notes. One weird thing that I do that I've just I've started doing actually over the last year has been when I see something or observe something or trying to be perceptive of the world around me, I will literally just take a note about it. So I, I literally make like 50 notes a day 
in my notes app. Yeah. So, uh, and, and one day I'll look back on those and, you know, try and figure out what to do with them. <laughs> Who has your favorite Twitter account? Boy, that's a tough one because there are so many good ones. A friend of mine is, his name is Bob Goff. He's one of my go-tos. I love reading his stuff. He's just got great takes on what's happening in the world right now. He's probably up there. Well, that wraps up another episode of Shift, Paul. Thanks so much, man, for spending the time with us to tell us about what's going on at Twitter, how you've handled COVID, where you see some opportunities. And and I think there's some really great advice for uh, leaders to take to heart, especially in this kind of new environment that we find ourselves living in. And I also want to take a a chance um, to thank the listeners for listening. There are so many podcasts out there that you could be listening to instead. And we really appreciate you for tuning in and listening to ours. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shift. You can get more details at pwc.com slash ca slash shift. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform. Just so you know, this podcast has been prepared by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP, an Ontario limited liability partnership for general guidance on matters of interest only and does not constitute professional advice. Until next time.